One night in Japan, I was alone with our new granddaughter, putting her down for sleep, which she seemed to not want to do at that moment. So I leaned over her bed, put my hands on the soft blanket that was covering her, and whispered this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And then I caught myself. I paused and I said out loud, this is a horrible prayer. (laughs) To pray to a child, a newborn, what am I thinking? And Katomi, for her part, just looked up at me, seemed to agree, and was waiting for more. So why put the idea of dying in your sleep in the mind of a child? I wondered, so I searched out the counsel of a great theologian, Google, to see if there were other words for this prayer, and sure enough, there are alternate words that I was not aware of that were, to quote the writer, less gruesome. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. May angels guard me through the night and wake me with the morning light. Much better. Much, much better. And Katomi seemed to agree. Her eyes got heavy. Then not long after I got back to the United States, I was preparing to lead one of our growth groups on uh, the book Soul Feast, which many of you are also reading and participating in growth groups. And you'll maybe remember this quote on the chapter on Sabbath, from a quote from Eugene Peterson. He was commenting about uh, the fact that for the Hebrew people, the day begins with the evening. You remember from Genesis, and it was evening and it was morning the first day. And he was commenting on this in light of the Sabbath day for the Hebrew people beginning at sundown on Friday evening. Peterson wrote, When it is evening, I pray the Lord my soul to keep and drift into unconsciousness for the next six or eight hours, a state in which I am absolutely non-productive. The Hebrew evening-morning sequence conditions us, he wrote, to the rhythms of grace. We go to sleep, and God begins God's work. We wake and are called out to participate in God's creative action. But always, always grace is previous. Grace is primary. We wake into a world we didn't make, into a salvation we didn't earn. So maybe that original prayer with all of its stark language, is more truthful. More truthful even in the original. 
When we go to sleep, think about it, perhaps more than at any other time of the day or the night, we are recognizing that fundamental trust we have in God to keep us as we sleep when we have no control. We fall into arms of grace, which is always first, which grounds everything. It is a grace that holds us in life if we believe what we say we do. It is grace that helps us live while we yet breathe. And when we breathe our last, it is grace that leads us home. We're inviting our congregation for the next few weeks, all of us, to the journey of taking the next step. It's an exciting thing, really, to consider. Not just where we are as disciples of Jesus Christ, but where we are being called to go as individuals and as a community. How we're being called to grow in grace. But it's hard, really, to take that next step if we lose sight of the first step. The step that sets this whole adventure of faith going in the first place. The step of grace. So I am glad that the lectionary presented us on this first Sunday of taking the next step with Paul's beginning with the beginning of Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica. Scholars, as you heard me mention to the children, believe this is the earliest of Paul's letters in the New Testament, which makes it the earliest piece of Christian writing we have. In its words, we are hearing the initial breaths of that newborn church. And that first breath is grace. Grace to you and peace, writes Paul. Combining that ancient, traditional Hebrew greeting of peace, shalom, with the word grace. And placing grace first in sequence. Grace to you and peace. Paul will go on to issue that same greeting in six other letters he wrote in our New Testament. Grace to you and peace. When we began with the realization of God's grace, when we recognize, as we mentioned before, that we are floating on a sea of grace, when we wake up into a world we didn't make, into a salvation we didn't earn. It is the first step of a lifetime of grateful response. I got to sit down with a family here some, some years ago who had just made a, a gift to one of our ministries here that was just getting up off the ground. And I wanted to offer my thanks to them and let them know the impact that that, that gift was going to have on so many lives. Their response was immediate and authentic and heartfelt. We are so happy 
to be in a position where we can do this. We know that that in and of itself is a blessing. God has blessed us through so many ministries of this and other churches we've been a part of all our lives. It is a joy to be at the place in life where we can give. And it reminded me of the words from the devotional book that we are reading as a congregation from a person who had been able to give a gift to her church. You may remember this if you've been reading along. She said, I feel like I was asked to partner with God for a great purpose. Our gift became one of the great delights of our lives. We loved knowing we could make a difference. We were deeply moved by the experience. If God gives you the capacity and the passion to do something, why in God's name wouldn't you do it? I lift these up to invite you to hear the posture. Two examples of what could be many, many more. Deep gratitude. The kind of gratitude that only comes when one realizes one's unique blessings and responds with joy and generosity. Paul cannot contain his gratitude. You can hear it. Uh, It just jumps off of the page as he thanks God for those Thessalonian Christians. Did you hear those words? I always give thanks to God for all of you constantly remembering you for your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is filled to overflowing with gratitude. When Paul first arrived in Thessalonica, as told by Luke in the book of Acts, the new Christians there that responded to his preaching were attacked by mobs in the street. Yet despite this persecution, their joyful faith persevered, even to the point where Paul says, we no longer even need to speak of it. It precedes us. Their steadfast hope amid persecution was being told in other places now, so much so that their faithful witness required no words at all from Paul. Amazing. I suppose you've noticed over the last couple of years that our facility has been quite a bit of chaos as we've been moving here and there while the renovations have been going on and all of you have been so patient and grace-filled as we've gone through that process. Throughout most of this process, there's been someone with us quietly in this space, all times of the day and night, painting alone. His name is Jeff, and we contracted with his company for all the painting that we did throughout the facility, which was no small job, and he did it very, very well. He never really said much to me uh, until one of the last days he was here, and he knocked on my door. And when I motioned him in, I thought there was some touch-up work he must be coming in to do. 
Instead, he said, no, I've been looking for you. I've been wanting to say something to you. He said, you know, people like me, I work in a lot of churches. And uh, it's something about this kind of job that people just say whatever they're going to say, whether you're in the room or not. You're kind of invisible to them. And I girded myself up. (laughs) And he said, I've heard a lot things over the years working in churches and I just want to tell you you have an outstanding group of people in this church you know people are themselves around people like me and your people are real and they're joyful And they walk the talk. And I don't see that very often. And I just wanted you to know. Now I have no way of knowing what he saw or what he heard or what kinds of encounters he had in this place over those many, many months. Whatever it was, if it's anything like what I see and hear in this community, it had the character of grace, the generosity of spirit that comes from a deep well of gratitude. It made me remember, you recall from a couple of years ago, Spike. Do you remember Spike? The gentleman who is always our landscaping foreman when we work at uh, uh, Brightstone, Second Saturdays. He sought me out on one of those work days, you remember, to say our church was the best church he had ever worked with. And he had worked with a lot, he said. And what did he point out? Your people seem so happy and joyful in the world. Like you love one another. I'm coming to your church one Sunday, he said. And he did. And I lose track of the number of homeless men and women who find a way to say when they discover I'm the pastor here how welcomed they feel in this place, authentically welcomed, how the fact that we share a meal with them makes them want to come back to this place again and again. And I remember Janelle saying when she came back from Detroit how the staff at that mission in Detroit that works there all summer long with all kinds of groups pulled her to the side to tell her that our youth and adults had brought such an authentic spirit to their week that it had impacted their whole staff. You know, these are the kinds of things, these are the kinds of things that tell you what kind of community you are. The kinds of things that happen when people don't think, when you don't think people are watching or listening, day in, day out, responding to God's grace, not perfectly, but faithfully. This is what Paul sees in the Thessalonians, and what so many see when they encounter lives captured by grace, filled with gratitude and generosity, and engaging in the work that springs from faith and trust, labor that comes from a deep well of love, 
and hope that remains steadfast in all circumstances. Paul recognizes the source of such living is God's grace, abundant, free, overflowing, life-giving grace. We've had too many funerals here lately. It's been hard to see people within our congregation who have brought such life to this place go. Their absence leaves a gap. Anytime a generous, grateful life is lost, their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope is missed. And yet, each time I feel the sadness of these losses, Spirit helps me to remember that the grace which grounded their lives is never lost, not to us, not to them. It remains the ground of our own living, the fount of our generosity. The best we can do to honor them is to follow, to respond to God's grace in the ways we are being called today and thus to bring glory to God in the church and in the world. So today we're going to do something just a little differently. In the silence that follows the sermon, for just a few moments, we will have silence. And I want to invite you to do two things. You have a card that you were given as you came in to the sanctuary, and if you don't, as soon as the sermon is over, if you'll just raise your hand, someone will bring you one. I would like to invite you on that card to reflect on the people you know who display this grace, whose lives are a testimony to the work of faith, the labor of love, and steadfastness of hope Paul celebrates. I also want to invite you to reflect on each of those words, faith, love, and hope, and to reflect on a ministry of this church that for you is an example of those. As you think of these people and these ministries, just feel free to write them wherever you want on that card. Their names and uh, these these ministries we share in common in the silence of your hearts. And ask God to use their example and these ministries to strengthen you in this community in your own generous response. And then when the plate is passed later in the service, I invite you to place those cards in it as an offering of thanksgiving. We have this short span of years, you and I, really and truly, and in them we are called to breathe deeply in grace, and to breathe out lives that shine with the grace we have been given. In the end, I think the prayer is deeply true. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. 
And in the meantime, in the meantime, grounded in that grace, let us live while we yet live. Amen.